from Forward Direction LLC, it's the You Should Listen podcast, a show that intersects sports, business, fashion, and hip-hop culture. We draw on experiences from influential people who have carved out a name in their respective creative space. We hope you pick up a few gems along the way. Thanks for tuning in. In the day and age where everyone is slapping CEO or founder in their bio on Instagram or Twitter, we sit down with a real-life go-getter. Meet Matt Parker, the CEO and founder of Rapidly Tax. He talks about the mindset needed to be an entrepreneur, lessons learned early on, and why a startup is the new wave. Enjoy. So, exactly how tall are you? I'm six seven, man. Um, I've decreased in height over the past five years, but I get asked that question ninety six times a day. So, yeah, yeah. I, I remember our days of uh, running the streets in Charlotte, being out with you because I'm I'm fairly tall myself at six four. People be like, "Yo, how tall is your boy, man?" I feel like he is super tall, but I know that gets mad annoying. <laughs> mad annoying, you know. Mad annoying. I mean, it's good, but it's also like. You know, you stick out. I can't do any crazy crimes and get away with them, unfortunately. I'm six seven, so, you know, I'm going to stick out. So I just try to stay low-key and stay out the way. But, yeah, get that question a lot. <laughs> cool, cool. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I actually have Matt Parker on the line. This is episode 004 of the You Should Listen podcast. Thanks again, Matt, for taking the time to kind of talk about your journey and your respective creative space. Um, just looking forward to hearing the gems you're going to share with our audience. Looking forward to it, man. I'm glad you're starting this podcast. I think it's really important. And, and, you know, we've been connecting for a long time. So happy to talk to the, talk about this stuff. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, like you said, we've been connected for a while. But for the fans that are out there, can you just kind of talk about your upbringing? Um, who are you? Where are you from? Um, kind of just, I think that'll just be a great starting point. Yeah, I mean, I'm from Blacksburg, South Carolina, town of less than 2,000 people. Um, moved to Charlotte after middle school but really grew up in Blacksburg and like where I'm from like most people never leave literally most people never leave the state uh fortunately for me when I was like 12 really until I was like from when I, from time like I was like 11 to like 15 I would go up north I would go to New York I would go to Baltimore I would go to all the places up north to see my dad's side of the family so that gave it kind of opened my eyes to like the real world but growing up in Blacksburg is a very small um small place yeah, I definitely can relate growing up in the small town of Roanoke, Virginia. Uh, I actually didn't even visit New York for the first time until I was 28 years old. So I feel like if I would have visited in my younger years, I definitely probably would have had that itch to kind of live in a in a bigger city from an earlier age. But I'm here now, definitely enjoying it. And it sounds like you're definitely making a wave out in San Francisco. That's that's where you are, correct? Yeah, are living, right in, living in SF, almost three years I've been out here in San Francisco um, you know, making my life here, you know, started a business, running a business here. So I've been out here for three years. It's a crazy place to be uh, at all times. It's, I think any time in San Francisco is a very different place from where I grew up, for sure. Gotcha. Uh, obviously, with the corona pandemic going on right now, what's the culture like out in San Francisco? Is everything locked down? Are people still moving around? Like, like what's going on? Definitely locked down. I would say one of the good things about living in the Bay Area, which is really San Francisco, North Bay, East Bay, West Bay, or not West Bay, but like the whole surrounding area, like people mm -hmm. were very, very early to the coronavirus, I would say. Like, 
I mean, I was following people on Twitter um, in January and they were talking about this is going to be the biggest epidemic ever. And, you know, just having that kind of in the ethos, very super smart people here. So I think the Bay Area did a very good job of getting ahead of it. Um, Obviously, it's affecting the city. It shut down everything. Companies are laying people off. VCs aren't doing a lot of deals. Big, large companies are, you know, having to restructure everything. But I think for the most part, it's been a pretty good handling of the issue. Gotcha. Yeah, definitely. I feel like obviously living in a, in a, in a big city as well, it's definitely everything has come to a halt all of a sudden. I feel like health is obviously the top priority right now. And I guess you can get back to the to other things, which once the condition stabilizes. Um, but obviously you said you did move to San Francisco for a reason. So, again, what are you actually specifically doing out there? Because I know it's the, the quote unquote startup capital of pretty much the world. So mm-hmm. I'm guessing you're in that space. Yeah, I mean, San Francisco was somewhere that started to get on my roadmap probably in 2016. Um, You know, I was very early in like being an entrepreneur and very excited about it. Um, And what the business that I was working on, it was fun, but I I didn't think it would be as big as I wanted to be. Uh, And I really thought about San Francisco because my friend moved out here to take a job and we just began to discuss Thing. So I visited him, spent two weeks out here, reached out, met with everybody I could in the Bay Area. And then like three, four months later, I moved out here full time with literally like probably like $15,000 to my name and just was like going to figure it out. So that's in, that's really how I ended up here. I didn't really have a, I had an idea of what I wanted to do, but I didn't really have anything like locked in. It was a, it was a complete risk and a complete, complete one way flight that fortunately is working out, but it was definitely a, a crazy move. Gotcha. Gotcha. And um, I know you said that back in 2016, you kind of had an inkling that you wanted to work in that space. But when did you think you got like your first true itch that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? It could be like when you were five or six, open a lemonade stand or a yard sale or like when do you think you really had your first itch? I mean, fortunately, I mean, you know, my story that, you know, I was working in corporate America, you know, I was a child support officer. I was a security guard. I was a loss prevention specialist. Uh, I was a medical lien resolution specialist. Like I had a lot of like crazy jobs after college. Uh, And for me, like the last job that I had, I would think I was working like at at this company in Charlotte, won't mention the name. And like I got laid off or I got fired pretty much. Uh, and that was kind of like really the straw that broke the camel's back for me because I realized like I put myself in a position to get fired, but also put myself in a company where I really had no control of like anything and I had no autonomy. And so really when I understood that, that's when I was like, I have to figure out how to be my own boss. It was a very like early level thinking of what being your own boss really entails. But it was a very much like I will never have, I don't ever want to have to be in a position where I'm sitting across from someone who's like firing me. And as an entrepreneur, you take, you know, you take that risk, but you also have that freedom. Gotcha. Yeah. And I definitely, I definitely remember the, those days. I was actually your uh, roommate during that time. So those, those, <laughs> yeah. those are wild times. Um, so you, so you, yeah. So you had questions like you got fired, but like, how are you going to pay your rent? Exactly. Like, but yeah. for me, it's like, I mean, this is kind of like the story of how, I'm going to do this. And I mean, that's, I think everybody has to have that point in their narrative where unfortunately for me, it was getting fired. But for a lot of people, it's like, 
it, it, it's that time. You have to come yeah. to that real consideration. But like at that point, like I became an Uber driver. So like I was literally like, I'm gonna go work for Uber to pay my rent and figure this out. Um, and so it's crazy. Like one of my other good friends, mutual friends with us, is Lyle. Like he was the person that gave me the phone to start Uber. And this is like twenty. Yeah. It's like 2015. This is when Uber was like literally not even a thing. Yeah. But it was a quick way for me to like make money till I found my next gig, or in my case, like got a business that I could be able to pay myself enough to cover things. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I guess I won't paint too much of a tale, but I I just remember we were roommates. I came home from Friday. You were sitting on the couch. You had this look on your face, like like you lost your best friend. I was like, damn, what's going on? You was like, oh, they let me go. And I was like, oh, we have rent due next week. <laughs> I don't think I had an ounce yeah. of empathy in me. I was like, how are we going to pay this rent? You were like, dog, I'm going to figure it out. That's one thing I will always credit uh, to you, that you you definitely know how to um, be creative, be resourceful, and and find some type of um, source of income, whether it's starting your own company, hosting events, driving Uber, or working um, odd-end jobs, or starting your own company. So definitely hats off and commend you for that effort. Yeah, yeah. So you've seen, yeah, you've seen this story from – we don't know how it's going to end, but, you know, it's still going right now. So. Exactly. exactly. That's, that's the main thing. Keep it going. So, um, obviously, when I hear the word entrepreneur, um, honestly, my eyes just, just light up like a kid in a candy store because it sounds like being your own boss, making your own schedule, not having to listen to anyone. And if anyone's familiar with Damon Dash, who's an advocate for being your own boss, can you paint the real depiction of what it's like to starting your own business? Like, I know a lot of people have founder, CEO of this bullshit company in their Instagram bio, founder of, of this in their Twitter link. But what does it actually mean to jump off the stoop and start your own business? Uh, that's a good question. I think there's a lot of different meanings. That's the one thing about entrepreneurship that is is hard because it's such a subjective thing. It means so many different things to so many different people. So for me, from day one, when I got fired and laid off and had to figure out how to make money, I became an Uber driver. I literally went, got a phone and started to work. And at that time, that was being an entrepreneur because that was just like doing what's necessary to pay the bills and figure out what you're going to do. As I've matured and actually started businesses, now raise venture capital, hire people, fire people, I think it becomes a lot more about, you know, maintaining, uh, you know, a steady pace of growth in whatever you're doing. So I live in Silicon Valley now. So as an entrepreneur, like you're judged on how fast is your business growing? You're not judged on how much money you make. You're not judged on anything, but like, is this business growing? And is this going to be a huge billion dollar company? And that's the only thing that really matters as an entrepreneur. So if you're a Silicon Valley entrepreneur like me, you might be making hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue but if you're not growing 20% and you're not moving towards an IPO or you're not moving towards some kind of exit, you're kind of looked at as like, what the fuck are you doing? Um, but other, so for me, that's my day to day is like, how do I grow this business from a million dollars in revenue to 10 million to a hundred million? That's my day to day. And everything revolves around that. And that's very stressful. So it's not a matter of like, oh, we made more money. We hired a new person. It's like, how fast are you growing? And this venture capital that you've taken on, how are you going to pay me back five, 10 X? Or if you're raising money to an investor, how is this business going to get from where it is today to a billion dollar company? And those are the only really thing, things that people think about in the milieu of it. It's literally keeping the lights on so you can get to that point. A lot of times you're buying yourself time 
to be able to get to that point. So for me, being an entrepreneur is how do I get, how do I constantly grow every day and grow this business in this, in, in whatever facet that is. Gotcha. And, and, and my, I guess my biggest takeaway in that response is it sounded like you, you had a lot of emphasis on survival mode. Okay. Um, you, you were punched in the mouth. How are you going to react? Are you going to react with a jab, mm-hmm. an uppercut or a throw a haymaker? So again, just being an entrepreneurial is again, finding your niche market and then being able to, to survive. Um, I feel like just as a person of color growing up, there wasn't a lot of emphasis on kind of creating your own space or starting your own Mm -hmm. company. Um, There's Mm -hmm. always like, go to school, say yes, ma'am, no, sir. Um, Get a good job, work at that job for 30, 40 years. If you're lucky, you can retire and enjoy what little of life you have left. Like, why do you think in our community specifically, there's not more individuals that, that pursue the entrepreneur route? Um, I mean, I think from from my perspective, again, I can only speak to like what I'm going through on a daily basis. I think there's a lot of people that have fear, like even with me, like raising venture capital, like a lot of my friends that are, you know, like me, like even they live out here, they're like, oh, I don't want to raise venture capital. I don't want to go through that process. I want to keep all the business for myself. But you got to think like, venture capital is good. It's money that you get into your business for ownership stake if you become successful. So a lot of people just can't even get past the fear of taking other people's money because the way credit is talked about in our communities, where it's like taking money from other people is bad. Um, so I think that's one thing is the, the whole fear of taking other people's money. Secondarily, I think it's not necessarily the education, but just the view of being an entrepreneur and like, what are you, what are your goals? Like, being on the front of Forbes magazine may be your goal, but like, what does that mean to like being a business owner? Right. So a lot of people focus on media. They focus on getting stories told about them. They focus on being on every podcast or every, you know, panel that they can get on to put their face out there. But you realize like that doesn't really make you a great entrepreneur. Right. That just like a lot of the best entrepreneurs the most successful. They don't even do panels. They don't even do like, you know, talks. They're very private. So understanding that. And I think thirdly, just access, right? Like one of the main reasons I moved out to Silicon Valley was I was living in D.C. at the time and I probably had tried to pitch people on investing in my company. And it's like there's only so many people to pitch living in the valley. Uh, you know, I could there's a hundred investors within my one mile radius that I can literally walk to their office and talk to. They may not invest, but I can at least build that relationship. And then they know I'm real and they'll never forget me because I'm a six, eight black guy. So there's a lot of different things of like that access. And then obviously the other, the other two things I mentioned, just taking the money and and receiving investment and then focusing on like really building your business and not necessarily building your brand early when you might not even have a real business yet. Gotcha. Yeah. You definitely just dropped a a lot of gems. I'm going to rewind for a bit. Um, I know I, I, know and understand what venture capital is but for let's say some fans or viewers out there that don't understand it can you repeat exactly what it is but relay it so in a message that is that it's precise and that let's say a a 10 year old kid just listening like, oh okay mom and dad i know what venture capital is so venture capital is a is money that you get for for equity or for ownership in your company so If you're thinking like, if you're a 10 year old kid, if I give you a dollar, you owe me back a dollar. Venture capital is, I give you a dollar and you don't owe me anything, but if you're successful, I'm going to make $10. So, you know, like 
they're giving you money to go do things like that are going to grow your business without expecting you to give it back. So it's not a dollar for a dollar 10 if they were charging you like a 10% interest. Basically, they're giving you this dollar and they're saying, go use it. But if you're successful with this business, now I'm going to make $10. So that's really how venture capital works. So you always have to have that ethos. Anytime you're talking to a venture capitalist, that's how they're thinking about this money that they're going to give you. And they have to report back to people that give them that money. So that's why they need to make 10% or 10x whatever they give you versus 10% as like a normal loan or credit would be. Gotcha. It definitely sounds like there's a lot of risk and uncertainty involved with um, working in that startup space or, or venturing out on your own. Have you ever looked back and been like, fuck it, I'm just going back to my nine to five. It's easier. I know I can get higher. Like, I'm not going to be happy at the end of the day, but I'm comfortable. Like, have you ever just looked over your shoulder and been like, this is too much for me. I'm going back to, to nine to five corporate life. Yes, I have. And mainly for me, I'm not a engineer, so I'm not a technical coder. Um, so I don't write code for a living. Um, so for me, it a lot of times in the venture capital space, like or in the world that I'm living in, like it's it's ran by engineers. Everybody at some point in time was an engineer, or they learned how to be an engineer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, it's like I've learned a lot about it, but I don't actually do it. But I think I could go back to a company and say, be like your B level you know, like operations person. Um, and that to me is a lot easier, like especially in the Bay Area, you can make good money doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a, it's always in the back of my mind, but like I've been built as an entrepreneur. So like I need to like have a, you know, I need to, I need to have ownership. I need to have autonomy. Like I think entrepreneurship gets thrown out there as like this thing to be. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, like you just become an entrepreneur because you have no choice. Like it would be hard for me to go through corporate onboarding again and setting up my payroll at company X as a, as an employee and p- filling out my 401k plan. Like, cause I've done it all as a, as an entrepreneur. So now it would be hard for me to like go into a corporation and be like your person that works at a large corporation, which that's fine. I think a lot of people, most people should do that. Most people should just do that and do creative side projects. Most people shouldn't be entrepreneurs. But for me, I think, you know, I'm built to be an entrepreneur. Gotcha. And I, and I definitely like that, that confidence and that conviction you have in your voice. Um, again, hinting on your, I guess, stint within the entrepreneurial space. I know you've been in there since about 2014. Uh, so that's a little over five years. And I feel like most business school or MBA programs are two years. So in a sense, I feel like you're actually earning your your MBA with real world experience. Have you ever looked into, um, I guess, going to a business school to kind of get access to their to their contact or or, or what's your your view on that? Because I know. In, yeah. 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 Because I know in San Francisco specifically, people go to Berkeley, uh, Stanford, just some of the other schools out there and pretty much that just opens the Rolodex. So, yeah. Yeah, um, that's a good question. That's something I think about a lot. Um, I mean, here, here's how I look at it. Like, you're getting access to, like, specifically here in San Francisco, if you go, and going back to the venture capitalist thing, if you're going to meet with a venture capitalist here, 90, nine times out of 10, I actually have a stat on it. It's probably like 90% of the time that venture capitalist went to Stanford, Berkeley, or an Ivy League school on the East Coast, 
or they have an MBA from one of the top programs. Mm-hmm. So you're talking to those people. Uh, even as it comes down to founders, there's still a high propensity of founders that get money. You're more likely to get money from a venture capitalist if you went to Stanford or you went to Berkeley or you went to, uh, you know, one of the big schools. Um, so it's something that I've always thought. I mean, I'm 33 now, so it's like, or Lord willing, be 33 this year. It it kind of is something I think that I could add to my my palette if I had an MBA from Berkeley or I had an MBA from Stanford. Um, but it, you don't just easily get into those schools, so I haven't really prioritized it. But you know, it's it's definitely a risk. So I would say it's something that I've thought about, but I don't think it's necessary. Um, I think if I was an investor, which I may want to be one day. I think it's very necessary, but right now I don't think it's that necessary for me as an entrepreneur. Gotcha. That definitely makes sense. And I, and I know you alluded to this uh, point earlier in our conversation about kind of walking into the room and being able to kind of sell yourself. Uh, I've been to California a handful of times. I have not been to San Francisco, but from my understanding and our many conversations, there's not a lot of people that look like you out there. So I feel like once that, uh, I guess, stigmatism or, or shock, kind of wears off how are you able to have those conversations with with seemingly people that don't look like you probably don't understand where you come from or any of that stuff yeah i think that's a good question i think being black here um in san francisco is definitely harder like you know i have those conversations with my girlfriend you know she's she's caucasian and it's like it's something that you do have to like you have to be built for but again i think i'm built to be an entrepreneur and so on the other side of it being an entrepreneur this is the greatest place to be because everybody that makes decisions generally has to pass through here in some form and so i've tried to use it as an advantage uh being a you know being a person of color not being from here uh you know using as an advantage and maybe mainly two ways it's like when i walk in a room like we started with i'm six seven so like people are going to remember me exactly Uh, and secondarily like talking to a lot of people you know talking to people that don't look like me and understanding their worldview and understanding their perspective so you move here you know i've been engaged with a lot of like i never growing up in blacksburg living in charlotte like i never really had relationships with indian people asian people african people just you know natively african people so here most of my friends are like that, like, you know, like they're Indians or Chinese or, you know, or Asian or African. And so like talking to them, because we're all here a lot of times to start companies and build companies, you get a lot more uh, better perspective of the world. Like I'm from the South. So like a lot of people now move to Atlanta because it's cooler. It's yeah. a lot more African-American people there. But like at the same time, like you run into the same problems. There's really no different differentiation. Everybody's cool. Everybody went to an HBCU everybody's blacker than black, but like, you're not really, uh, you know, it's just the same thing, the homogeneous or, you know, how it is here in San Francisco, where it's like mostly all white engineers, yeah. you have that same thing. So I don't want to be in that group think of like that, but it is stressful sometimes being the only black person. And like San Francisco is definitely not that diverse, but you know, you have Oakland, LA is not far away. Um, so being on the West coast, I think Oakland and LA are definitely more culturally cooler places than SF, but SF is where it's where the big companies are being built. And again, like I'm an entrepreneur focused on growth. So this is where the biggest companies are being created at. Matt has shared a lot of insight. What really hit home for me was sometimes being an entrepreneur is as simple as figuring out how and when you can get paid. You have to stay hungry and curious for that next opportunity. 
His day-to-day thoughts are on constantly growing as a person and building out his business, which is what we do here at Forward Direction. If you're interested in growing as a writer and publishing your own book, check out the website, LadenWilliams.com, to figure out how we can get your story out today. Now back to our convo. Uh, you just mentioned obviously being focused on growth and um, earlier in our conversation you said that you initially kind of moved out there without a plan you were just like I'm gonna figure it out so can you kind of talk about some wins you've had in your entrepreneurial career as well as some losses I'm not gonna call losses some lessons you've learned um, whether it's with your current um, project or some some previous projects just kind of walk us through that yeah Yeah. So, I mean, I've just had a lot of great people, I think, Um, you know, starting with when I first visited here, um, I met with uh, my friend named Rachel. And she's like the head. She was at that time. She was the head of uh, Rachel Williams. She was the head of diversity and inclusion at Yelp. And like I went to Yelp, you know, had to find a parking space, was late for our meeting. And then like we sat down and talked and I walked into the office and I'm like, you have all this food and like all this like unlimited everything. Like, how does this work? And she's like, Matt, like just being, you know, she's black. She was like, just because we have food doesn't mean you go here and you eat everything and you look, you know, you look crazy. Like you, <laughs> you want to be culturally like appropriated. Like yeah. how your dress is not how we dress in Silicon Valley. I think I had on like a suit and she was like, yo, if you're coming for business meetings, throw on a blazer, but throw on jeans, you know, like this is how you need to look in Silicon Valley as a black man. So she was very helpful with just hipping me to like, this is kind of how this place works. Um, you know, and so like moving out here, just reaching out to people that I knew, uh, another mutual friend, Lyle, who we know both, you know, he was working at Uber. So he was giving me tips and pointers. Again, I moved in with Steve, like he let me live with him. It wasn't rent free, but like, you know, he was working in the South Bay. He let me live there, uh, figure things out. Um, and so really, I think I, I got a WeWork office. I had like, you know, started paying like $200 to have an office so I could go in every day. And I was still working on my previous uh, business that failed, which was GradX. Um, and so I was selling that to a lot of tech companies here, trying to get more students into those companies. And really I started working on rapidly and, or, you know, which is a company we we'll probably talk about. And I was getting really more like growth with that business, even though it wasn't really what I was quote unquote passionate about. I was getting more growth with that business um, and so that's really, you know, once I started getting growth, like I had clients that I had in DC and Baltimore still reaching out to me for services when I was all the way in Cali. And they were like, I don't care where you're at. Like, you're the person I want to work with um, for this tax year or whatever. And so really after that, and then most of the companies out here were like, yeah, we don't need campus recruiters. You know, so really that was one of another big wins is like all the companies I tried to sell uh, my previous company to, they were like, no, we won't pay you. And then every one of my other customers from D.C. and all the places that I was at were like, I want to work with you. And so that's really what gave me the ability to see like, OK, like this has more pop because, again, I was like at that point, like I need to figure out what's going to work. for me. So that's really the biggest win was getting the no's on the grad X and getting the yeses on what I was doing with rapidly from my current client base. Gotcha. And. And I, and I vaguely remember grad X. Um, so I know mm-hmm. it was a, a project in place to kind of help um, students and athletes transition to the workforce. But when did you know that it was kind of time to pivot from, from that idea and then kind of to go towards rapidly? Cause I feel like sometimes people, they just kind of um, 
belabor the point of if they have one project, they just kind of want to put all their eggs in one basket and, and say, hey, I'm going to focus on this one until it takes off. But sometimes your biggest win could be stepping away from that one and then pivoting to another idea. Like what was your thought process behind pivoting from one idea to another venture? Yeah, so so GradX, just to catch people up, my, my first business was GradX, which was initially designed to create a better pathway for college athletes, which I was, which you were, which a lot of my friends were, transition into, you know, more, you know, roles that probably weren't as widely promoted within that, you know, kind of like roadmap. Like you weren't an athlete thinking you were going to be a salesperson, a marketing person, something like that. So I was basically building a boot camp type model for those athletes to connect with companies. And I started in DC, literally had my first cohort, you could call it graduate and go on and get jobs. And I still talk to a lot of those people. And, and so what I was doing was trying to connect a lot of the companies with this emerging level of talent, which were athletes, which have very raw skill, very raw skills, very competitive with these companies. So when I moved to, to San Francisco, I literally had that business on one hand and, you know, I was running that. I didn't run a boot camp out here, but I was really trying to turn it into more of a platform tech platform. And I also had rapidly because really what I, I was doing my first business was a tax prep company. Um, and, you know, it was, you know, multiple offices in DC and Maryland, you know, just running retail tax businesses, kind of like H and R blocks. Uh, and so really that was kind of a business I was trying to get out of by moving out here. I was like, I'm going to go all in on GradX. I'm going to connect these college camp, college athletes. I was going to connect college athletes with Silicon Valley. It was kind of funky, but that's what I was going to try to do. But what I really learned was that the other business that I had, which was kind of in my back pocket, was actually more viable specifically for building a tech company. And so that's kind of how I started to focus more so on rapidly than GradX. Gotcha. So I know you're pretty much all in right now with rapidly. So again, for um, the people that are listening out there, can you kind of uh, detail what what value it is that rapidly adds for for businesses or for for individuals? <laughs> Yeah, so right now, Ravelry is, you know, we're primarily purely focused on businesses. So, you know, what we do is, you know, we build kind of the back office or the software that empowers now over 500 uh, solo or small firm tax and accounting firms. Uh, so, you know, that includes everything from how they interact with their new clients, and especially now with the coronavirus, like our business comes full circle where, you know, the the initial problem was when I moved out here, um, you know, I still had those clients. I still had to work with those clients. They still wanted to talk to me. They still wanted to send me information and they still wanted me to do their taxes or someone that was working with me to do their taxes. Uh, and so now what we do is we actually sell the software and build the software for those solo practitioners. So, you know, right now within America, you have well over, you know, 2 million or so of these independent tax and accounting professionals who run their own businesses, what the IRS calls them is EROs. So they own a tax practice. They may have tax and accounting professionals working under them and they're legally licensed to prepare and file tax returns with the IRS for pay. Uh, we've added more, more services now, like, you know, bookkeeping services, uh, general accounting and bookkeeping practices, tax planning, business consulting. Now as a startup founder, like, you know, I have an accountant, I have a bookkeeper, you know, I have all those kind of things. So like we've moved into other areas, we're moving into payroll this year. 
Um, and so that's really what we are building now. Uh, and and kind of that's what we we build software for those specific software that only they can use. So it's specifically built for their unique business. Gotcha. Um, that, that definitely makes sense. And it sounds like you are quite quite busy out there on the West Coast. Um, I have to ask, did, did you have a mentor or someone that kind of, I guess, in a sense, turn the light on you to say, hey, Matt, this is like what you need to do. This is how you go about building a team. Oh, you need this process in place or you need to work on your infrastructure. I know you mentioned Rachel briefly, um, kind of giving you your introduction to San Francisco, but a lot of these things that you just mentioned are not things that someone can just pick up at the, at the drop of a dime. So like, how did you go through that process of, of realizing how to scale your business out? Yeah, good, good question. I think I've never really had like a formal mentor, um, but craziest story is, um, you know, when I moved to DC from Charlotte in 2015 to start the tax prep company, um, I actually was still also driving Uber there. So my life has been crazy for the past five years because I moved to DC or Baltimore specifically, started this tax prep company. Um, and then I literally was driving Uber in the evenings and I picked up this guy and I took him to these like super swanky, um, like, I think they were like four seasons, like condos in Baltimore. And he actually had started a tax prep business. So he had already pretty much done what I was doing and we met each other. And, you know, really he's been like a formidable person in my life because, you know, he invested in rapidly the tech company as well. He was one of the first investors, uh, still work with him to this day. Um, and so he's really helped me with just like this core business. Like, I mean, this guy's been in the industry for 20 years, you know, he's, you know, he's, a little older than me, like he's Indian, but you know, he understands a lot of things and he like, he's like very like smart with the industry specific stuff. Um, so he's been really helpful with just like building a long-term business and understanding like the ebbs and flows, the ups and downs, the seasonality that we deal with as, as in the tax industry. Uh, he's been really good. Um, his name is Charles. Um, but outside of him, really, I mean, mostly now that I have investors and venture capitalists that have put money, like they definitely provide good, mentorship but i mean i've just i just feel like i've just really become an obsessive reader really for the past like you know when i got fired from garrison like i i think i might have read my first business book that week because i was like oh shit like what do i do and i just started reading and ever since then you know all the information is generally in books Mm -hmm. so you know i just try to be voracious in reading take notes reach out to the people that i read about like you know out here it's crazy like you can reach out to a lot of people that write like bestsellers and they might actually get back with you and meet with you, uh, talk to you. And so that's really how I do it. I don't, I don't really believe in like formal mentorship because like most people don't have time anyway. So it's like, it's better to like build all your questions and then go like read the books and just like be just very curious about everything and you can read about it. So that's generally how I, how I learn. Definitely. What are some books that have, I guess, altered your mindset that you would recommend to an aspiring entrepreneur and also, I guess I'm just curious, have you been able to connect with any of these um, authors at any point or any capacity? Yeah, that's oh, that's a good question. Yeah. So for me, it's pretty much like it's a, it's four books that really have influenced, like, I think the evolution of what I've become and what I'm trying to be as an entrepreneur. So, you know, again, when I moved to D.C., I was living with my cousin at that time uh, and I picked up a book Zero to One by Peter Thiel. So that was like a real, and now it's become super big. This is like when it first came out, I like bought it and read it quickly. And I've read it now probably a couple of times. It really just gives you an understanding of startups and like what you're really trying to build. 
And if you are trying to build a startup, that book taught me, like, I want to build a startup. Uh, secondarily, once I'd gotten into that, you know, kind of understanding, I read a hustle book, which is, uh, which I think every black person in tech or in any kind of business should read is why should white guys have all the fun. Um, and it's basically about Reginald Lewis, who was a lawyer turned like private equity turnaround guy in New York in the eighties and nineties. Um, and he was literally like, so a lot of times people out here, you think about being black in tech or being black in entrepreneurs, you read that book and you're like, this dude was literally the only black man doing what he was doing at that time. So watch the white guys, how all the fun was the second book in my trajectory. The third book was when I came out here. I never forget, I was driving around Silicon Valley and I was listening to this book on Audible called Chaos Monkeys, which is by um, Antonio. I can't pronounce his last name. It's, it's Latin, but I've reached out to him via Twitter. He still lives out here, but Chaos Monkeys is just like the best startup book because it's not highly rated on Goodreads, but it's like, you should read that book because it puts everything together. Mm -hmm. And then now as like a business owner running a business, I think Principles by Ray Dalio is a book that everybody should read. If you're actually running a business and you're kind of like trying to hire people, trying to fire people, trying to build systems, build processes and really build your business, you got to read that book. So those are my four that I would say read. Nice. And it sounds like you definitely picked up a lot of gems from, from that literature. Um, and you've definitely learned a lot from, I guess, moving to San Francisco. I think we kind of hit it, hinted on it earlier, but I'm just curious, what is it about San Francisco specifically that allows businesses to thrive? Like, why can't the startup industry be big in, I don't know, Miami or, or, or Chicago? Like, what is it specifically about San Francisco that allows these companies that are in the, the tech space to thrive? Yeah, I think that's a good question. A lot of people, is a lot of people writing about that. I mean, I've been, everybody I talk to is like, why is SF? Why do you got to be in SF? Um, I think mainly, you know, from my experience, I never would have raised venture capital anywhere but SF. I really believe that just because the trajectory and just being the proximity of being close to people that are investing. Uh, so that's the first thing. There's more money here per capita to invest in startups, which are highly risky businesses. Secondarily, SF is the only place where like doing something like a startup is, is actually normal, right? Like where we're from and where we grew up, like it's not normal to really, like even when I became an entrepreneur and I was like just trying to do things, people were like, what? Like you don't have a job? Like how do you yeah. even survive? Where SF, it's like, it's in the ethos. Like it's, you know, it's, it's how people live. So that's the second thing is just not abnormal here to be an entrepreneur and then I think the, the second thing, the third thing is it is a very like, I'm not an engineer. It's a very engineer tech place. Mm -hmm. Like literally people like write code, read books, you know, even with the coronavirus, like people here just read so much and like almost know so much that they like could predict from the numbers that this is going to be a big thing. So I think that part is like the third part that's really underrated. Like people don't understand that. So Miami is hard to build a culture of, of engineering people who are just hacking together, writing code. New York is maybe it's becoming good in New York, but it's like the engineers, like they really just attract to the Bay area, right? Like LA is trying to build its own tech sector, but like LA is a lot cooler. The weather's better. Like, there's a lot more stuff going on, but like San Francisco, particularly, it's a very, very hunkered down city. 
um, you know, in code and tech and engineering and IT, this is like the metropolis of that. This is what people like live for. So I think that's the third part that makes it so special. Gotcha. And yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. And I, I still got to get out there to, uh, to, to visit yeah, you gotta come, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my feet wet in San Francisco. But, um, and I heard you mention yeah. the fact too, that it's kind of ingrained almost in the mindset out there growing up that you can have your own business. You can have your own company. Uh, when you first told your, your parents or your family or your friends that you were moving out there, what was the, the, I guess, initial reaction? Was it a shock value? Was it, uh, he's crazy. He'll be back in a few months. Like, what was that process like? Yeah. I mean, this, that's the other part of it. You know, like I talked to, I try to talk to my mom every day, every other day. She's really the only person that's really come out here to visit me from my family. Um, you know, a lot of my family members, like, it's just expensive to come out here. It's super expensive to live out here. So a lot of the, the thinking about that is like, that's what most people say is like, it's so expensive. Like, how do you afford to live in San Francisco? Like, what are you going to do for work? So it's, it's like, that's the thing is like, you kind of have to like understand that. And so that's, that's one of the advantages I have in being in San Francisco and running the business that I run. That's why I think it's going to be successful because I'm selling actually now with rapidly to more people that are like people where I'm from than in San Francisco. Right. Like they're just like, man, if I can make like another 10,000 this year in my business, I'm going to be good. If I can make another 20,000 this year in my business, if I can get another 50, hundred clients, I'm going to be, this would be amazing. Like you're building this tool for me to do this. Where in San Francisco, it's like, it's different. So I think having the understanding of like all the things that I hear from my family and parents, like living out here is super expensive. You're going to get married. How are you going to buy a house? Like it's super crazy for them that I'm out here even still three years in. But I think a lot of them have just accepted it. And they're just like, oh, like, yeah, Matt lives in San Francisco and he's in the tech world. Like they don't know exactly what's going on. So I think a lot of times, there's just that it's just a lack of understanding of how things work but living here people know how it works you know like people there's a reason people live here and pay these rents basically gotcha definitely understand and it sounds like you've learned a lot in the last three years that you've been there um learning all that you have and obviously picking up knowledge from the different literature and connecting with the industry experts out there let's say it's 2009 you're about to finish from jmu what would you what would you tell yourself yeah, that's a good question. I mean, 2009, which is crazy, like a lot of just talking to college kids. I still try to talk to as many college kids, you know, not necessarily a mentor, but like I still try to reach out to like maybe like 50 college kids every year and just like talk to them about what they're planning to do. Um, and I was just actually talking with one the other day. And it's like, you know, I was thinking 2009 was like I graduated 2010. It was really hard to get a job. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think 2009 was even harder. Um, I would say like, looking back, I would just, you know, if you were going to be an entrepreneur, like you should probably have definitely moved here then. Cause like the people that moved here in San Francisco and, you know, tech, you know, try to get into tech then like there, a lot of them are five, 10 X millionaires. And then there's probably those that would say that they're not, but like, it was very like similar to now where there's Corona, you know, with coronavirus, the economy's tanking, people are getting laid off like everything seems to be shutting down and it's really the best time to like start building and get with a company. I would say get with a company that's building and that really values building and gives you entrepreneurial freedom to think outside the box about what you want to do with your life, with your career. 
So I would say definitely 2009, I would have probably moved here earlier and just probably joined the company in 2009. I mean, I moved here in 2017, so I moved here a little bit late, (laughs) but you know, I would have just moved out here, got to work at a company. Maybe you get on an Uber, like that would have been great, but just not being scared to make that move, whether it's here, whether you want to get entertainment, LA, whether you want to get into, you know, banking, finance, sports, everything, New York, like move where you want to go and like really just jump in and start doing what you want to do. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. And even though you, I guess, kind of quote unquote, got off to a late start in 2017, I feel like just from the people that I've spoken with that are, that are in a, an environment or a space that they want to be in and they're thriving in is they early on in their career, they identified what it is that they did not like or what they did not want to do. And it sounds like you kind of hit the nail on the head with that from your earliest jobs as a assistant assistant specialist at this place or as a <laughs> junior analyst role at this bullshit company. So can you kind of speak to, yeah. to that? Cause it definitely sounds like you've, you, you found what it is that you like and you gravitated away towards some shit that you're like, I'm never doing this again. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing is like, for me, it was like, I just never could uh, the corporate world and like the, the fight and, titles just seemed crazy when it was like oh like I can actually just be an entrepreneur or do this but for other people it's like I can work at a great company Uh, like that's the main thing it's not about your title it's like are you working at a great company are you working and doing something that you day-to-day maybe you're not you know might not always be passionate about it but are you doing something with great people and so I think that's the biggest thing that people got to understand is like it's all about that and like every day won't be great. Like for me running rapidly, you know, I got to look through like today, I got to look through like the new stimulus package because that affects our clients because some of our clients um, use our payment processor, which gets the deposits for the tax refund. And all these stimulus clients are like, Oh, like where's my stimulus money going to be? So that's not something I want to deal with on day. Cause I'm like, how do I get a stimulus plan? Like I'm thinking it in terms of myself, but it's like, put yourself in a position where you're doing something that's bigger than you. And like, you know, you're actually, you have, for me, it's like, I have ownership. So like, yeah, that's something, that's something that might be boring for that day, but like I own 50% of my company still and we're growing, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, I'll double down on that. Yes. I'll handle those support tickets. Um, you know, I'm the CEO, but I'm also the customer support specialist. I'm also, you know, the salesperson. I'm also the marketing person. So you know, just really, you know, having more ownership where when I was in a corporate world, it was like, you push this paper and you, you get these claims down to, you know, down to the dollar and you do this and you follow this set order. And this is how you do your job, no matter how unproductive it is, you know, this is what you do. And it's like, I never was really comfortable with that. Cause I felt like I always need to have a input in how the process works. And so now as an entrepreneur, like I try to give my team that, like you figure this out, like you're not, your title here is not the biggest thing. It's like, you have to be creative. You need to be a problem solver and you get the resources to go do that. And so now when I try to hire people, I try to think like that, like, Hey, like you're an entrepreneur too, even though you work at this company, you have the ability to, to, to make your own decisions. So I think that's the biggest thing for me is like, as opposed to a title. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely appreciate your insight on that. And again, it just kind of sounds like you have to be willing to kind of step in and get your hands dirty because there's not necessarily going to be a perfect storm. It's not like 
you left some great job, had a nice egg, moved out to San Francisco, walked into a million dollars in venture venture capital uh, financing and all that good stuff. So I feel like people have to be cognizant of, of, of what they're getting themselves into. Like you have to, you basically said, you have to be willing to get uncomfortable to succeed. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think you have to be get, I, I think you have to get uncomfortable because for me, it was very uncomfortable. It, it's been very uncomfortable for me just being an entrepreneur. Like, you know, like I just, in the past year now I have started to have some level of normalcy to my life, but I would say, yeah, uncomfortable is one of the first things you have to be. And just, I mean, not being afraid to like fail. So not being afraid to like make mistakes. You know, another thing about venture capital is like you learn and, you know, a lot of people, like, I think a lot of people like us, African-Americans, like we, we, we have fear of like, you know, especially for me, like, I was, you know, when I started my tax prep company and it wasn't in the nicest part of Baltimore, literally the Baltimore has like the highest murder rate, the highest level of crime. You're seeing kids like young black men down on the streets every day for like pennies on a dollar. You move to San Francisco and, you know, I have friends that have raised tens of millions of dollars, blown through it in a year and went out of business Damn. or raised a hundred million and like literally the business failed and they literally write an email, write a Twitter write a blog post, shut down the business and go start another business <laughs> and get money from the same people that gave them the money when they failed. So it's like, you have to have this understanding of like, yes, you're trying to grow. Yes. You're trying to be successful, but like you, they're like money moves, you know, like the government's printing two bit, two trillion to send to everybody. So like that money's going to go out. So like, you can't have this view of like, if I fail, if I lose this money, if I mess it up, if I fuck up this money, it's the end of the world because it's actually not. And so that mentality, I think, has allowed me to just persevere when I can't raise money or when, you know, the business isn't going as well, just to realize, like, I can separate myself from the success and failure of this business and realize, like, I'm going to be okay either way. You know, like, I think that's the biggest thing. Gotcha. Yeah. And I guess just to kind of wrap things up, definitely want to say thank you again for taking the time to to speak with us today, but I'm not going to let you go yet. want to have a little bit of fun. So I'm um, going to put you in the hot seat for a second. I'm going to ask you four or five questions. You just kind of give me top of the mind answers and we'll go from there. I have to ask, I know you live in the Bay, but uh, 96 Bulls or 2017 Warriors? 96 Bulls got to be my team. I love the Warriors, but I think, I mean, 70, 72 wins, Jordan, Rodman, Pippen can't beat that team. Gotcha, gotcha. I, res- I respect that. Um, Braun or KD? I mean, definitely Bron. I mean, Bron's last three, four years have been just crazy. At his age, he's just been able to play at another level. So, I mean, I love KD. KD's great, but I think Bron all day. Okay, cool. And I know you you grew up in the South, so this should resonate with you. And <laughs> and I want to know your honest answer: Bojangles or Chick Fil A? Oh man, if I'm if I've had a few drinks, I gotta go with Bojangles. Because Bojangles is much more filling in that time. Supreme right. supreme combos all day. Don't get that out here on the West Coast. They don't have anything <laughs> like Bojangles or Chick-fil-A in California, unfortunately. Gotcha. Well, Which is yeah. probably a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, and I know you're a bookworm, but good book or a good movie? Um, I would say good book. Yeah, good book is, is, is 
takes you to another takes me to another place. Gotcha, gotcha. And uh rooftop vibes or speakeasy? Whew, tough question. Uh I would say speakeasy because of the surprise for sure. You don't know what you're getting into. Definitely, definitely. Definitely. And I guess last thing, um, what are you gonna do when this when this timeout or this lockdown is over? Like what's the first thing you're gonna do when this quarantine is up? Uh dang, I mean that's a good question. Damn, the first thing I'm gonna do that I can't do right now. Oh man. I'm actually gonna just go to the gym. Actually, that's been the hardest thing. They shut uh-huh. down my gym. And I actually miss going to the gym, right? Like, I go to a nice gym, so they got nice showers. I mean, they got good facilities. So I'm going to definitely look forward to them opening up. That's when I think things will be back to normal, when they're like, we're open for business. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, hopefully we will be able to stabilize and, and get back to normalcy at, at some point. But, again, I uh, want to say thank you. And for the people that want to get connected with you, to let's say they want to pick your brain or have an offline conversation, what's the best way to get connected to, to Matt Parker? Um, feel free to give out any contact information you want to share. Yeah, I mean, just I mean the best, the best place that I usually engage and spend most of my time is Twitter. So uh, Matt A. Parker at, on Twitter. Um, you know, I'm, my tweets range from basketball to sports to tech, um, you know, really just anything. But, you know, that's really where I spend most of my time. So I'm, I'm heavily engaged on DMs all the time. Um, and I think that's probably the best place to, to find me. Okay, cool. And uh, not going to hold you up. But, again, just wanted to say thank you for stopping by the You Should Listen podcast. Again, this is my boy, Matt Parker. I'm Layden Williams, and I'm checking out. Checking out. All right. Peace. Appreciate you. All right. Peace.